0: friends, welcome to The Oak Tree Journeys. My name is Mandy Oaks, and this is the Encyclopedia Challenge Season 1, Episode 82. Thank you so much for listening this week. I want to thank my regular listeners. You guys are awesome. And my new listeners, welcome. You guys are awesome too. Um, And if you are a new listener, you may be wondering, what is the Encyclopedia Challenge? I just don't get it. Uh, Do I have to read an encyclopedia? Is there homework involved? What's going on? Well, those are all great questions. And as my regular listeners know, there is no homework unless you just want there to be. Um, The Encyclopedia Challenge is where I read the encyclopedia to you. So if you enjoy words, if you enjoy learning, if you enjoy listening to someone mispronounce lots of words, This podcast is definitely for you. Um, It's just where I read the encyclopedia. In fact, we read from two encyclopedias. The main source is the New Encyclopedia... Hold on one second. The the New Imperial (laughs) Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And the secondary source that we sometimes go into and sometimes we don't is the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. And today we actually do have a good smattering of both. Um, so we will be reading from both encyclopedias today. We don't always, um, but I'm re- really excited that we are today. Um, and thank you again for joining us. Now, those of you who are my regular listeners, today is September 25th of 2022, and it is the last Sunday of the month, which means... It is the last time you will hear the quote of this month, of the month of September. And as promised, um, since it is a Bible verse, we will be comparing uh, the different versions of the Bible verse. I did something a little different uh, this month. Normally, I don't do Bible verses as the quote of the month. Um, However, I was waking up every morning singing praises to God and this verse, or these verses really, just hit me. And I was like, you know, let's compare what each translation says about the verses. And these are from Psalm 146, 1 through 2. And I believe the first week uh, that, let's see, we skipped one week. We skipped actually the first week of September. So there was no podcast for September 4th. My apologies for that. On September 11th, we started with the New King James Version of Psalm 146, 1-2, through 2. and then we did the New Catholic Bible on the 18th, and today we are going to compare those with the NIV, or the New International Version, plus two bonus versions um, that you may or may not have heard of before. Um, that I found a really nice website, uh, so let me give credit to this website real quick. Um, BibleGateway.com So that's www.BibleGateway.com If you ever want to compare um, Bible uh, verses to the different versions, this is a really good website to go to. Um, So that way you don't have to buy all of these versions. Um, Now I've got the NIV, I've got the New King James, and I've got the King James, and I think a couple of different ones. But I don't have the New Catholic or the Orthodox Jewish. Um, I do have a Jewish New Testament. I don't have an Orthodox Jewish Bible, though. And then I don't own a Young's Literal Translation either, which is where we're going to go to uh, today as well. Um, But they have lots of versions, versions I've never even heard of. Uh, But if you're ever curious um, about comparing some of the Bible verses... Uh, without having to go spend lots and lots of money, go to BibleGateway.com. Again, that's www.BibleGateway.com. Okay, and I'm not going to have that in my description below. Um, Okay, so the quote of the month uh, from the NIV version, and then we'll compare it to the other versions later. So this is from, again, from Psalm 146, verses 1 through 2. Praise the Lord, Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. And that is from the NIV version. And again, we'll compare the other versions a little later. So let's go ahead and get into the reason you're actually here, um, which is not to listen to me babble on and on. Uh, Let's get into the meat of the podcast. So the first five entries are Angel, comma James Burrell, L.L.D., Angel, comma James Rowland, Angel, comma Sir Normal, A.K.A. Ralph Norman Angel Lane, Angelo, comma Michael, and Angels. Okay, so number one is from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So we have Angel, comma James Burrell, L.L.D. or James Burrell Angel, L.L.D and he was an educator born in Skituate, Rhode Island in 1829 on January 7th. After graduating at Brown University in 1849, he traveled in Europe and having returned in 1853, he was appointed to the chair of Modern Languages and Literature in Brown University. He was editor of the Providence Daily Journal from 1860 to 1866, and then was made president of the University of Vermont. In 1871 he was chosen president of the University of Michigan, which post he left from 1881 to 1881, I'm sorry, 1880 to 1881 under appointment as US minister to China. Oh, that's pretty cool. And as chairman of a special commission to negotiate a treaty with that empire. At the completion of this work, he returned to the presidency of the university. US minister of Turkey from 1897 to 1898, again resumed presidency of the university. So I'm going to just assume uh, that he just uh, was not, he had not passed away yet at the time of this encyclopedia. There is no date of death. So he was still alive when this encyclopedia was at least written. Maybe not published, but written. there is no date of death. Okay, so moving on to entry number two, which is actually from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. And that is Angel comment James Rowland, or James Roland Angel. And if you want to know how to spell their names, um, go to my website, theoaktreejourneys.com. That website is in the description below. Again, that is theoaktreejourneys.com. Select Encyclopedia Challenge, and for, the, for today's or this week's, um, go to S1 slash E82 or Season 1. No, I don't do that anymore. I'm sorry. Season 1, Episode 82, or just type in 82. Uh, search and find. And if you are listening this week, the week of September 25th, 2022, it'll be at the very, very bottom. Okay. So James Roland Angel, he was an American educator and psychologist so he was also an educator, but, but a psychologist as well. He was born in Burlington, Vermont on May 8, 1869. And he died in Hamden, Connecticut, March 4th, 1949. The son of James Burrell Angel. And we just talked about James Burrell Angel. So, who was an American educator and, and a diplomat. He graduated at the University of Michigan in 1890 secured a master's degree there the next year, and in 1892, a second one at Harvard, and then went to Europe for postgraduate study in Germany, Austria, and France. He became an instructor in philosophy at the University of Minnesota in 1893, and the following year he began a quarter of a century with the University of Chicago as assistant professor of psychology and director of the Psychological Laboratory. In that period... He built up the Department of Psychology into international recognition, served as Dean of the University Faculties, and during 1918 to 1919, acted as President of the University. He left Chicago to become President of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, but resigned that post in 1921 to become the 14th President of Yale University. Well, that's pretty neat. He was the first to head Yale who had not been an alumnus, Oh, so he was, he did not graduate, so he was the first person to head it who had not been graduated, who had never gone there. During his presidency, there was a vast expansion of the universities physically. The enrollment increased substantially, and the residential college plan, under which nine colleges for undergraduates were joined together after the system of British universities was established. Within his first 10 years at Yale, the endowment increased by $20 million, and other substantial gifts were made for new departments, new chairs of teaching, and new buildings. After retiring from Yale, he served as educational consultant and public service counselor of the National Broadcasting Company, and from 1944, he was also director of the Hall of Fame on the Bronx campus of New York University. His psychology in 1908 went into four editions, And he also wrote Introduction to Psychology in 1913 and American Education in 1937. He was very, very busy. And number three, we have Angel, Sir Normal, or, I'm sorry, I've got Normal here. (laughs) His name is Norman. Uh, Let me fix that. Okay, so we have Sir Norman Angel, or AKA Ralph Norman Angel Lane. So let's find out who he was. He was a British economist, and again, this is from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So he was was a British economist, born Hall Beach, Lincolnshire, December 26, 1874. He was educated at the Lycée de de Saint-Omer in France and in Geneva, Switzerland, then going to the United States where, after experience of ranching and prospecting, He turned to journalism. From the St. Louis Globe Democrat, he transferred as a reporter to the San Francisco Chronicle and in 1898 returned to Europe. Going to France, he edited Gaglennini's Messenger until 1903, spent the next two years on the staff of the Paris Eclair, and from 1905 until 1914 served as general manager of the Paris edition of the London Daily Mail. Meanwhile, he had written numerous books, the most notable of them being The Great Illusion in 1910, which emphasized the common economic interests of nations, which might become involved in a worldwide war and predicted what might prove to be its economic aftermath. The work was translated into 22 languages and passed through many editions. Going back to England in 1914, he devoted himself almost exclusively to writing, his total of books largely concerned with peaceful co- cooperation and in international relations, eventually exceeding 30. Wow, that's pretty cool. From 1928 to 1931, he was editor of Foreign Affairs. And during 1929 to 1931, he served in the House of Commons as a labor member for North Bradford. In 1931, he received a knighthood. and international recognition of his work for peace came in 1933 when he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Among his books were The Economic Chaos and the Peace Treaty in 1919, The Fruits of Victory in 1921, Must Britain Travel the Moscow Road in 1926, The Story of Money, 1930, The Great Illusion, 1933, The Money Mystery, 1936, Peace with the Dictators, 1938, For What Do We Fight, 1939, America's Dilemma, 1940, Let the People Know, 1943, The Steep Places, 1948. Okay. Number four, Angelo Comma Michael. So in both versions uh, of the Encyclopedia, so the new and the new Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 and the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956, both of them say for Angelo comma Michael to see Michelangelo. So we will not get to read I'm sure you all know who Michelangelo is. Um he's a teenage mutant ninja turtle. <laughs> he is, but he isn't. Um so um so yeah, we will when we get to the M's we will read about Michelangelo. Okay, number 5, Angels. So for angels and I believe last week um Yes, last week we talked about angel, and I went to the. <laughs> Sorry, um, I just blanked out for a second. The Encyclopedia Americana, because I did not like that the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary didn't have anything about, you know, what it, the actual definition of an angel. Well, it turns out they. Do they just waited until we got to angels with an S. So my apologies, I did not look ahead. Um so we have Angels and the new Imperial, the new Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So number five is Angels. And if you want to compare it to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. That is in last week's, um, so episode 81. Okay, so Angels, in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909, in Jewish and Christian theology, a class of superior spirits represented as the immediate instruments of divine providence. As scripture contains no complete and systematic account of angels, the belief of the church respecting them, except in a few points has never been exactly defined. It has always been held that angels and human souls, notwithstanding the high origin of the latter, are distinct. Only Dionysus, Erpagita, and a few modern speculators have maintained the contrary. Dionysius, Dionysius in his Hierarchy of the Celestials, um, divides angels into nine orders. Whether there are not spirits superior both to men and angels has been a disputed point. As to the number of angels and their names, the church in the Middle Ages repeatedly checked the tendency to go beyond the usually received accounts. A Roman Catholic council of 745 mentions with reprobation the use of the unwanted names of Uriel, Ragel, Simiel, etc. The names that have all along been in most common use are Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. The creation of the angels was placed by the Platonic. Platonizing Church Fathers before that of the immaterial world, others assigned it to some one of the six days. Equally various were the opinions as to the nature of the angels. The second synod of Nicene in 787 assigned them a subtle, ethereal, or fire-like body. The scholastics, on the other hand, and the Lateran Council of 1215, maintained their immateriality while others owing to the appearing of angels mentioned in scripture attributed to them the power of assuming momentarily the corporeal corporeal yeah okay that form the physical form the poet nonus in egypt 5th century is the first to speak of angels wings the belief in guardian angels was common both to heathens and jews and had been reduced to system by philo and the doctrine was adopted in the Christian church and defended by Origen and others, founding on Matthew, and that is uh, chapter 28, verse 10, and Acts 12, verse 15. It has been cherished by many in all ages and of all parties, but has never been decided on by the church. I'm going to pause there for one second and just say that the Bible, you can read it, the the really cool thing about the Bible is, is you can read it and yes there are some things that you're, you kind of scratch your head you like you may need help understanding because of cultural beliefs and his, you know what's happened historically and stuff. But for the most part you can read the Bible and understand exactly what it's saying. And whenever I read those verses, it does sound like what we term as guardian angels is exactly what they're talking about. So um Maybe not, you know, not necessarily what society wants to tell you. Like in the, you know, guardian angel on your shoulder and a little devil on your on your other shoulder. Not like that. Um, but the Bible does indicate that we each have angels watching over us and guarding over us, and those angels see our Father's face. Um, and that's what's amazing about it. So I encourage you to read those verses. Uh, but also to understand that you don't have to have someone confirming what the Bible says um, to you. Anyway, that's that's just want to lay that out there. Some of the fathers also spoke of good and bad guardian angels, the former of whom were always ready to prompt, to good actions, and to avert evil while the latter were equally equipped quick for mischief, wickedness and calamity. From the belief in the guardianship of angels and their participation in the government of the world arose naturally the early practice of invoking and worshipping them. Now we should not worship angels. Angels did not create us. Do not worship angels. I am just reading what the encyclopedia says. Many Christian teachers condemned it appealing to Colossians 2.18 and the Council of Laodicea 300 called it disguised adultery, yes. But after the Council of Niki had conceded that though angels were not to receive divine worship, they might receive a reverential obeisance, the practice mentioned became more and more rooted and continues in the Greek and Roman Catholic churches. I, I can see where you can revere or... Uh, because we are we were created a little lower than than the angels and I don't remember what verse that is but that is in the Bible. Okay. So that's a we're not going to get on preaching or anything. I just inserted some of my opinions there. And you can take it take it or leave it. All right. So, let's go ahead and go to break and when we get back, we will be in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. Our next set of five entries, or entries numbers six through ten, are Angelus, Angelus Cilicius, Anger, Anger Manland, Angers, or Angiers, or AKA Angiers. And numbers six and seven are both from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So number six is Angelus. I know that's not um, the Angelus from. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, or a.k.a. Angel. So Angelus, the Roman Catholic prayer and practice by which the mystery of the Incarnation is recalled to mind and is honored morning, noon, and evening. It forms the subject of a famous painting by Jean-Francois Millet. And this right now is a good time to compare the NIV Psalm 146 uh, one through two, to the Orthodox Jewish Bible. So if we recall, at the beginning, the NIV says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, my soul, I will praise the Lord all my life, I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. The Orthodox Jewish Bible says, praise Yeshim, praise Hashem, O oh mine a fish. While I live, will I praise Hashem. I will sing praise unto Eloha, while I have have any being. So, that is a comparative uh, to the NIV and the Orthodox Jewish Bible. Again, that is from BibleGateway.com. And number seven, Angelus Cilicius. And that means the Cil- Cilician angel, so that's what his name means whose real name was Johann Scheffler. He lived from 1624 to 1677. He began as a physician in Breslau, adopted the Roman Catholic faith, and became a Franciscan priest and writer of the mystic, pantheistic, religious poetry. He was strongly influenced by the poet-philosopher Jacob Bohm and is regarded as the most gifted German poet of his time. Cilicius is at his best in his collection of verse der Czerbenescher Wundersmann in 1674, and while such aberrations of religious sentiment are no longer acceptable to the modern mind, nevertheless a few of his hymns have held their place in the hymnology of the Protestant as well as the Catholic Church. Consult Ellinger G. Angelus Cilicius in 1927. And the person who wrote that was Wilhelm A. Braun, he was Professor Emeritus of Germanic Languages and Literature from Columbus University. Okay, so that that whole um, entry is attributed to him. Okay, numbers 8 through 10 are from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So number 8 is anger. Anger. Now, we all know what anger is. We'll, we'll read the official definition. but This is a good time to say sometimes we get angry um, with ourselves, sometimes we get angry with other people, Um, sometimes we have people angry at us. Um, I'd rather not, but sometimes we do get people angry at us and we over simple mistakes and wouldn't you like, whenever that happens, wouldn't you love a do-over day? just just a complete just let's stop here let's let's do this whole moment or entire day just over because I know for me personally it may be different for you but for me personally it just seems like whenever I make a really stupid mistake I get so embarrassed I make an even worse mistake. Um, especially if the person does not accept my apology, I just make it's like you've already started a fire, and you take two truckerfuls of fuel, and you just throw them on the fire. And the fire may have been a small campfire, but it's been blown out of proportion. And then you just you make an even worse mistake, and that's. That's what's happened. That's what happened to me last week. Um, thankful, thankfully, we do have some examples in the Bible of where people made horrible, horrible mistakes, and God did forgive them. Now, people, not necessarily. Um, we are we are told to forgive others, but as as humans, sometimes we just we forget that we forget uh, that we do need to forgive other people. So, if someone has really, really angered you. And I'm just mean, made you super, super mad. I would like to encourage you to forgive them. And I know it's hard. I know forgiveness is hard, but I, I would encourage you to forgive them because people make mistakes. You make mistakes. I make mistakes. So I would, I would encourage you to forgive them because it, it, it is hard. Um. You know, you don't know what else is going on in their lives. For me, last week, it was, I wasn't sleeping, I was stressed out, I wasn't eating very well, and I just was not functioning like I should. And it just seemed like all day long I was making one mistake after the other. Um, And each mistake just got worse and worse and worse and worse, and I just wanted to bury myself in a hole and never come out. And I'm sure if you've ever felt that way, feel free to let me know. Um, you know, email me at madebeoaks at protonmail.com. Tell me your story. i I if you don't want me to say anything about it on this podcast, I won't. If you do, if you want me to say something about it, I will. Uh, but the great the great thing is, is um we do have examples of forgiveness in the Bible. I'm just gonna go along with three examples uh, of people who wished They had a do-over day. Um, And one person who took things too far. And thankfully, we have in 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Jesus will forgive us. Um, The person who took things too far is Judas Iscariot. Now, he just... If you know the story of Judas, he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He regretted it later. Instead of asking forgiveness and using himself as an example of what you shouldn't do to your friends, he killed himself. Um, Peter betrayed Jesus three times. Um, He said he didn't know who Jesus was. Now, granted, he didn't condemn Jesus to die for 30 pieces of silver, But he still betrayed Jesus. And he felt horrible about it. But guess what? Jesus forgave him and he said, feed my sheep. Peter used his life, used that moment in his life to spread Jesus' gospel. Another example we have of someone who probably wanted to do over, um, probably who knows for how long, how many years he wanted to do over, Paul um or Saul, you know Saul Saul Paul, Paul Saul. He probably wanted some do-over days too, especially when he was um watching Stephen being stoned to death. So all three and Paul became one of the greatest um, uh, disciples of Jesus. Uh, whoever lived, we've got and Peter did too. So we have three examples of men who would probably want to do over days. One went to the extreme That is not what we want to do. And the other two just kept going. Um, Now Paul had to deal with the consequences of his actions. There were a lot of Christians who were still terrified of him. Uh, There were Jews who hated him. Um, So he still had consequences of his actions, but he embraced those consequences. So I I love that we have, and there are lots, lots more examples, but those are the three main examples I wanted to point out so anytime you've made a huge horrible mistake think of those three men judas iscariot peter and paul Um, and which one of those three do you want to be more like Um, and i do not want to be like judas iscariot at all if i make a mistake that's just that was a permanent solution to a temporary situation and we never, ever, ever want to do a permanent solution to a temporary situation at all. Um, and if you are struggling with that, feel free to email me, MandyOaks at ProtonMail.com. And I will help you get some help. I'm not qualified to help you with anything serious, but I will help you get some help. Um, because you do not want to be a Judas Iscariot in that you you do something permanent like that. Um, I would rather you follow Paul and Peter. <laughs> uh, maybe not necessarily get yourself jailed. <laughs> no, don't get yourself jailed. But you know, follow them. They they kept going. You know they had to live with what they did, and yeah, they wanted to do over day. But Jesus forgave them. So again, I'm going to remind you of First John one nine. If we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just. He's a faithful and just Savior. And He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. After all, that's why He died for us—was to cleanse us from our sins because we're not perfect. By any stretch of the imagination, we are not perfect. Um, so I just wanted to to share that with you because I felt like I just could not. I just feel like that one day last week was just oh, one one giant mistake. Just. One mistake after another, after another, after another, and it just snowballed. But anyway, number eight, and that is anger. I'm going to combine, um, there are two angers in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 that I did not catch. So I'm going to read them both, and we're just going to say that they're both, uh, eight, we're going to say 8A and 8B, um, 8A is anger, and then 8B is also anger. Because I just did not catch it until just now. Okay, so 8A, anger. Noun, the feeling of resentment mingled with pain. Strong indignation excited by real or supposed injury. Rage, displeasure. Now, as a verb, it's to provoke, to enrage. Angering, angered, angry. Angry is displeased, provoked, raging. In medicine, applied to a wound inflamed and painful. Angrily, Old English, for angrily. In an angry manner, synonym of anger, noun, wrath. Choler, ire, resentment, indignation, displeasure, fury, passion, gall, spleen, vexation, grudge of angry, passionate, hasty, oh, I like like that, passionate, Uh, hasty, provoked, displeased, raging, infuriated, inflamed, choleric, furious, wrathful, hot, indignant, irritated, and resentful. So, anger, 8B, anger, displeasure or vexation accompanied by a passionate desire to break out in acts or words of violence against the cause of the displeasure, which must, of course, be or be considered as a sentient being capable of feeling the infliction. Like most other emotions, it is accompanied by effects on the body, and in this case, they are very marked. The action of the heart is excited. The pulse during the paroxysm is strong and hard. The face becomes red and swollen. So any writers out there... Remember this, this is a good, very good example. The brow wrinkled, the eyes protrude, the whole body is put into commotion. In cases of violent passion, and especially in nervous persons, this excitement soon passes to the other extreme of depression. Generally, this does not take place till the anger has subsided, when there follows a period of general relaxation. The original tendency to anger differs much in individuals according to temperament. But frequent giving way to it begets a habit and increases the natural tendency. Anger is often injurious to health. Frequent yielding to its impulse may occasion disease of the heart, blood vessels, and kidneys. The milk of a mother or nurse in a fit of passion may cause convulsions in the sucking child. That's wild. Huh. It has been known even to occasion instant death like a strong poison. Really? I wonder if it's because of heart attacks or aneurysms or strokes. That's interesting. I'm going to just pause right there. Let's, uh, let's read that again. So anger has been known even to occasion instant death like a strong poison. Interesting. So I'm going to read uh, the last sentence to this, and then I'm going to read it again because it's very important. The control of anger is a part of moral discipline. So here we go. So the control of anger is a part of moral discipline. I like that because that is absolutely true. Um I'll read it one more time. The control of anger is a part of moral discipline. And that is, I'm going to insert my opinion and take it or leave it. We do not have very good moral discipline right now at all. And you can see it um, in everything. In everything. So, there we go. Okay, number nine. Let's move on to Angermanland. Angermanland. It says Swedish Angermanland. Oh, I think it's pronounced Angermanland. Angermanland. It's a former division of Sweden, now chiefly comprised in the lawn of West Norland, and this again is in 1909. It extends along the Gulf of Bothnia, or Bothnia, and is watered by the River Angerman. It has great variety of wild and beautiful landscape, wood, mount, stream, and lake, buying or being with the banks of the Rhine, the Danube or the fair, far-famed scenery of Switzerland. Cool want to go to switzerland and new zealand i'm just throwing that out there in addition it is one of the best cultivated districts of, in sweden producing barley rye and peas and abounding in excellent pasturage the river angerman about 225 miles long is in its lower course navigable for the largest ships and broadens into a lake shortly before reaching the gulf of bothnia or bothnia the chief town in Sends about the population is about five thousand, located on the small island of Herno, It has stream communication weekly with Stockholm, and is the see of a bishop. So I can't say Stockholm without thinking of Stockholm syndrome. Um, but let's move on to number ten, which is Angers or Angiers. Or I'm sorry, it's pronounced. <laughs> here's another. Here's another one where it's not pronounced the same way it's spelled. So. Uh, feel free to visit my website, theoaktreejourneys.com, to see the spelling of these. Um, but it's... On, onze... No, I'm sorry, Onze. It's pronounced Onze, formerly Onzeer, I believe, uh, ancient Julia Magus, or Indigavum. It's a city of France, formerly capital of the Duchy of Anjoy, now of the French Department of... Main at Lure, on both sides of the navigable river Mayen, four miles north of its junction with the Lure, sixty miles by rail southwest of Le Mans. Anza is the seat of a bishop and was the seat of a university founded in 1246. Instead of which, it has now an academy of the highest class. It is also a theological seminary and an institution for the deaf and dumb a large picture gallery, and a public library. The ruins of the ancient castle of the Dukes of Enjoy, built by St. Louis in the 13th century, are here. See Enjoy. The Cathedral of St. Martin is a fine building of the 9th century in the Roman Basilica style. Great slate quarries are near. Population of commune, 1891, 72,669, and in 1901, 82,398. Okay, And with that, let's go ahead and go to break. Welcome back. Our next set of five entries, or entries numbers 11 through 15, are Angers, comma, Sir Auguste Rial, Angers, Felicite, Angevin. Angari and Engakaima. Okay, so number eleven is from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956, which is Angers, Comma Sir Auguste Rial, or Sir Auguste Rial Angers. And he was a Canadian statesman born in 1838 and died in 1919. He was called to the bar and became a Queen's Counsel in 1880 in which year he was elected to the Dominion House of Commons. He was a Pusne judge in the Superior Court of Quebec in 1880 and lieutenant governor of the province from 1887 to 1892, in which position he dismissed the Mercier Ministry on account of the Bay des Chilerets Collars Railway scandal. From 1892 to 1895, he was Dominion Minister of Agriculture and president of the council in 1896. He was knighted in 1913. Now well, that's cool. And number 12 is also from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. And that is uh, Felicite Angers, um, or Laurie Conan, a French-Canadian novelist, ooh, born Malbec, Quebec, died in 1924. Uh, She was the author of a number of works, among them Angeline de Montbrun in 1884 and Siles Canadians, Le Voliant is that the Valiant Canadians maybe? Elizabeth Sion in 1903 Silhouettes, Canadians in Montreal, 1915. All right, and before we get to number 13, Just a quick reminder, I know I mentioned it last week. Uh, There is a gospel meeting at Mountain View Church of Christ, which is in Bluff City, Tennessee, today through September 29th uh, with Buddy Moorfield. So Buddy Moorfield will be speaking um, at Mountain View Church of Christ in Bluff City, Tennessee. So if you are in the area, feel free to stop by. Um, Today we have the normal hours, uh, 10 a.m. study, uh, Bible study, our Sunday school, um, 11 a.m. is the sermon, and then tonight at 6 p.m. is another sermon, and then the 26th through the 29th, uh, it's at 7 p.m., and that's all in Eastern time. So if you, and I don't know if we're going to be streaming on Facebook. I know sometimes we stream our sermons on Facebook, and sometimes no one's there to stream it. Uh, I'm not on Facebook, so I can't help with that. Uh, <laughs> Um, but if I were, if I, you know, if my phone were set up for Facebook, then I would totally help with that. But uh, whenever there's no one else there, but sometimes, yeah. Uh, go ahead and if you are curious about the Facebook uh, sermons, uh, look up Mountain View Church of Christ, and that, again, again, that's in Bluff City, Tennessee. And the preacher, um, the regular preacher, is Clarence Cannon. Uh, but this week it's going to be with Buddy Morfield. And there is a meal today, so if you are in the area, Bluff City, Tennessee area, um, feel free to stop by Mountain Weed Church of Christ for a really good sermon with Buddy Moorfield, and then a meal afterwards. Um, We end around 12 or noon, again Eastern time, and we'll have a meal right after that. So feel free to to stop by. So let's go ahead and move on uh, to word number 13. And for words 13 through 15, we are going to be in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary. And a quick confession. During break, uh, I realized that I had the words completely messed up. I had a repeat word in here, um, and so I had to go in and fix everything, (laughs) Um, which was a lot of fun, let me tell you. It actually wasn't too, too bad. Now that we do 20 words as opposed to 50 and then as opposed to 30, it was a lot easier to fix. And our 13th word is Angevin. So Angevin. And it, there are two different spellings of that. And again, for the spellings, please uh, visit my website, The New imperial? I'm sorry, not The New imperial. <laughs> that's, that's the encyclopedia we're using. The TheOakTreeJourneys.com. TheOakTreeJourneys.com. And this is season one, episode 82. So Angevin, pertaining to Anjoy, the Angevin kings of England were of the family reigning 1154 to 1485 that were ancient governors of Anjoy and were known in history as the Plantagenets. Oh, as the Plantagenets. The royal houses of York and Lancaster were both of the Angevin race, um, Angevin period in English history from 1154 to 1204 to the loss of Normandy, which is Angevin architecture. Oh, I'm sorry. An- Ange- this does not have it divided up very well, so I didn't realize this was a new entry. So there's also Angevin architecture, which is a medieval style originating from enjoy with the bay over each vault raised dome-like in the center. There we go. Number 14 is... In in Giree, so in ancient it was Castrum Angular, a town of central Italy, province of Arezzo, Tuscany, ten miles northeast from Arezzo, on the slope of a hill near the Savora, one of the headwaters of the Tiber. In 1440, a battle was fought here in which the Milanese were defeated by the Florentines. The population in the early 1900s was around 1500. Number 15 is N-G-N-K-E-M-A, N-G-N-K-E-M-A, which is a noun. And that is a huge word, a huge spelling. So, again, please visit, this is number 15, you can please visit TheOakTreeJourneys.com, Encyclopedia Challenge, Season 1, Episode 82, to find out how this word is spelled. But It's a giant word for a tiny, tiny half-line definition, and it's in botany. And it means vascular tissue in general. That's it. That's all it means. And with that, let's go ahead and go to break. And when we come back, we will compare all of the Bible verses um, as well. So all the Bible verses from uh, Psalm 146, verses 1 through 2. Before we get into the Bible verse comparison for Psalm 146, verses 1 through 2, Let's go ahead and go over the last five entries for this week. So we have Angina, Angina pectoris, angiography, Angiosperms, and Angle. And all of these will be from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary. Um, However, number 17, Angina pectoris, we will read from both. So we'll also read from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956, just to kind of compare the two. I have not read it ahead of time, so they may sound exactly the same, as is the case sometimes. Okay, and number 16 is angina, which is a noun. It's an inflammation or tumor in the throat, impeding respiration. Anginal, or anginos, pertaining to angina. Angina pectoris, and accompaniment, an accompaniment of certain forms of heart disease in which a most excruciating pain in the breast is felt with a sense of strangulation. That sounds horrible. Horrible, horrible. Number 17 is angina pectoris. So this is from the 1909 version. Um, It's also called heart stroke. So, a.k.a. heart stroke. is characterized by intense pain and sense of constriction which occur in... roxysms beginning at the breastbone or deep in the chest and extending towards the left shoulder the fits recur the fits recur and the patient either dies in one of them or from effusion of fluid within the chest it rarely occurs before the 50th year and is caused by some defect in the vascular or nervous supply of the heart itself Grief or worry and excessive indulgence in alcohol, tea, coffee, or tobacco are among the predisposing causes. Uh, I don't believe that's the case anymore. Um, Grief or worry and stress of any kind can also worsen anything. Um, But I'm not sure about tea or coffee. Don't mess with my tea or coffee. You can mess with alcohol and tobacco all you want. Don't mess with my tea or coffee. Anyway, let's move on. The paroxysms are induced by any excess in diet, by excursion, as walking uphill or against a boisterous wind, or by mental emotions. The drug of greatest efficiency in the treatment of it is the iodide of potassium or of sodium. Nitroglyceride is also employed. The paroxysms may often be cut short by the inhalation of nitrite of amyl. Whoever is subject to fits of the heart stroke should studiously shun all occasions of having his feelings roused or his passions warmly interested. If he is prone to anger, he must either endeavor to restrain his passion, or must withdraw from scenes likely to awaken it. If he feels keenly contradiction, disappointment, or insult, he had better avoid all disputes in which he may meet either one or the other. He must lead a sober, quiet, and temperate life, in which neither the emotions of the soul are to disturb the functions of the body, nor corporeal affections are allowed to disturb the serenity of the mind. And that's by Craigie. don't know who Craigie is, but that's by him. So let that sink in for just a second. So that's the 1909 version. Let's see what the 1956 version has to say about it. So this is from the 1956 version. Angina pectoris is a syndrome of paroxysmal attacks of pain beneath the sternum dependent upon faulty circulation of the coronary arteries of the heart. William Herbadine from 1710 to 1801 of London, gave a classic description of the disease in 1768, giving it at the same time its name. The pain in the breast is extremely severe and is combined with a sensation of tightening and suffocation. One so seized will remain perfectly still, sometimes in fear of death. The pain may be elsewhere, as in the lower sternal region, subclavicular, region or radiating down the arm. It is uncertain just what produces the paroxysm, but it is thought to be a myocardial anoxia brought about by the articulosclerosis of the coronary vessels, which are unable to supply sufficient blood to the heart muscle. The attack may be precipitated by unwanted exercise, emotion, or overeating. This one says overeating, which makes sense. I'm sure it doesn't mean overeating in one you know, one time, but probably over a lifetime. Uh, it occurs most often in middle-aged men. An attack may last from a few seconds to perhaps 30 minutes and is, re- and is relieved usually by a vasodilatant as amyl nitrite. Coronary sclerosis at any time may be complicated by coronary thrombosis, in which case an artery supplying the heart will be occluded completely by a blood clot. This gives rise to the gravest of symptoms and physical collapse. Many persons do not survive an attack of coronary thrombosis, but if they do, life may be prolonged for years. If attacks are repeated, the outlook becomes more grave with each succeeding one. Coronary thrombosis is the most frequent cause of sudden death today. And remember, that is from 1956. Um, We do know more about the body now. And Just a quick look, uh, just a quick Google search. Um, It's a condition marked by severe pain in the chest, often also spreading to the shoulders, arms, and neck caused by an inadequate blood supply to the heart. Any number of disorders in which there is an intense localized pain. Um, And that's just a really quick uh, thing and it can also, it says, depending on severity, it can be treated by lifestyle changes, medication, angioplasty, or surgery. Um, so the 1909 isn't too far off. You know, lifestyle change, you know, you're eating and stuff. It's also called uh, is, uh, is chemic chest pain. Again, I'm not a doctor. Please do not take any medical advice um, from me or these encyclopedias. I have taken classes, but I am not a doctor. So, and uh, that every time I say that, I think of "not a doctor" from one after one of those shows. I don't remember what which one. There we go. That is angina pectoris from both the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 and the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. And before we move on to number 18. Now let's go ahead and compare some of these Bible verses. So Psalm 146, 1 through 2, our quote of the month was, uh, today was from the NIV, praise the Lord, praise the Lord my soul, I will praise the Lord all my life, I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. The New King James Version, which is the first one that we did on September 11th, says praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. And last week, we compared that to the New Catholic Bible. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God throughout my life. And then we said the Orthodox Jewish Bible. Praise Hashem. Praise Hashem, O my Nefesh. While I live, will I praise Hashem? I will sing praise unto Elohoy while I have any being. Now we have one more Young's Literal Translation. Praise ye Yah, praise O my soul Jehovah. I praise Jehovah during my life. I sing praise to my God while I exist. And that is Young's Literal Translation. Again, all of those were from BibleGateway.com, and I did go ahead and decide... I know at the beginning of this podcast, I said I wasn't going to have the website. But it is a really good website, and I feel like I should go ahead and post it um, and give them credit because those verses were from there. I wouldn't be able to compare all of those Bible verses without that site. So it is BibleGateway.com, and the website is in the description below. And the really cool thing about their site, when you go to just BibleGateway.com, Before you look anything up, they do have a verse of the day. So if you enjoy Bible verses of the day, um, they do have those. So that's really cool. So that is the comparison of Psalm 146, verses 1 through 2. Um, I like uh, Young's literal translation and the New King James Version. Um, But you may like a different version. Uh, But I like those two. Let's go ahead and move on to number 18, and we are strictly in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 for entries 18, 19, and 20. So, entry number 18 is angiography, and all that is is a description of the vessels in the human body. That's it. (laughs) So, number 19 is angiosperms, noun plural. Plants which have their seeds encased or enclosed in a seed vessel. Angiospermous, term in botany applied to phanergamous plants which have their seeds enclosed in a per- pericarp. This is the case with the greater part of phanergamous plants. Those which have the seeds naked, as the conifer, are also called gymnospermous. In the Linnean system, one of the two orders of the class nimia is also called angiospermia. And number 20, angle. So angle, and it looks like there are several angles, but we are going to go over the first definition of angle, and then we'll go over the next ones um, next week. Now, any corner, small or large, the point or corner where two lines meet, a hook to fish with, In Old English, a fishing rod, verb, to try to catch fish with a hook, to endeavor to gain by insinuations or artifices, angling, noun, fishing, the art of fishing, angled, having angles or corners, angler, one who fishes, a kind of fish, also called the fishing frog, angular, sharp pointed, having angles or corners, angularly, angularity, The quality of having corners or angles. Angle iron. Noun, a rolled bar of iron of an angular shape for forming the edges of bridges, safes, etc. Or the corners of boilers, etc. Salient angle. The angle formed by the two lines of a parapet which projects towards the enemy. Oh, so that's in military. So salient angle is a military term. Re-entering angle in Military the reverse of salient, that is, having the apex of the angle towards the defenders, sectoral angle, an angle formed by the prolongation of the faces of any work forming a salient angle, angle or elevation, in taking aim, the angle formed by two lines, one passing from the eye to the object, the other coinciding with the bore of the piece, angle of incidence, the angle formed by the line taken by a projectile, Terminating at the point where it strikes the surface and the line of the ground extending from the same point in the direction of the source of projection. In optics, acoustics, etc., more generally, the angle formed by the line of a ray of light, heat, or wave of sound at the point where it strikes or impinges on a surface and a perpendicular line raised on the same surface from the same point. Angle of reflection. The angle at which light, heat, or sound leaves a surface against which it has been projected. It is equal to the angle of incidence. Right angle. An angle or corner formed by a perpendicular line falling in on a horizontal line or surface subtended by a quarter of a circle or 90 degrees. Acute angle. Which every time I hear of acute angle, I've, I know I've said this when we were at acute angle. Um. Every time I hear acute angle, though, I just think of that scene in Buffy the Vampire Slayer where... Um, Buffy just found out that uh, if she didn't take better care of Dawn, Dawn was going to be taken away from her. And they were in the magic shop. And uh, Buffy was talking to Giles in the back room, the workout room, um, while Dawn was supposed to be doing her homework with Willow. And they were all on the floor giggling. and, And Buffy, of course, is stressed out to the max, which we can all relate to. And she gets angry. Um, and fusses at them, and, and they're like, oh, yeah, we were a cute angle, you yeah. know? So, and then Willow and Buffy have a small little argument there. But anyway, I, that's, that's the scene I always think of um, whenever I think of acute and obtuse angles. And we're going to have obtuse angle here in a second. But acute angle, an angle or corner less than a right angle. Obtuse angle, an angle or corner greater than a right angle. Triangle, a three-sided figure which has three angles. Spherical angle, an angle formed by the meeting of two arcs of a great circle. Angle of lag, a term used in connection with alternating current phenomena to express mathematically the time relation between the impressed electromotive force and the current flow in an inductive circuit. See electricity, principles of. And there we go. Those are our 20 entries for this week. I appreciate you joining me and listening to me. Um, especially with the words I was not able to pronounce. Uh, But I definitely appreciate you sticking with me. This is episode 82. I cannot believe we've had this many episodes. Uh, Now, as far as words, yes, because encyclopedias are huge. Um, But wow, 82 episodes. I highly, highly appreciate you all. Um, And let me go ahead and repeat uh, the verse of the day. Then I want to do some closing. I want to leave you with with a thought. Uh, But before I leave you with a thought uh, for this week, um, let's go ahead and read Psalm 146 verses 1 through 2. And I'm going to read from the Young's literal translation. Praise Yah, praise O my soul Jehovah. I praise Jehovah during my life. I sing praise to my God while I exist. And that is what we should be doing is praising God. Um, so I love that I love those verses uh, from Psalm one forty six one through two, but here's what I want to leave you with. Um, I mentioned, you know, making mistakes, and sometimes we want a do over day. We don't get that like Groundhog Day. I think it's possible if God wanted us to have a do over day, He created time. Nothing's impossible for Him, so He would let us do it. However unless he chooses to do it we all have to live with our consequences all of us Peter had to live with his Paul had to live with with his they had to learn how to move on Judas Iscariot did not know how to move on with his mistake uh, he could have been forgiven because remember uh, we're uh, we're told in first uh, John let get that again. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he could have been forgiven. You know, Peter was forgiven. Paul was forgiven. Paul was forgiven, and he murdered how many Christians? Um, quite a few. He signed their death warrant. Even if he didn't personally stone them, he signed their death warrant. Um, so we have to learn how to live with our consequences and move on. But we also, if someone wrongs us, we also need to learn how to forgive them as well. Because as the definition of anger from the 1909 encyclopedia said, the very last sentence, this is extremely important to remember about anger. The control of anger is a part of moral discipline. We can't help but make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Jesus was the only perfect one. That's why he was able to sacrifice himself to forgive us of our sins because he was perfect. He was the perfect lamb of God. He was the perfect son of God. We, as the sons and daughters of God, are imperfect and we needed that sacrifice. So that's why it's so important whenever someone does wrong us, because they're going to wrong us. They are. Um, We've all been on that end. We've all been the person who made the mistake. and We've all been the person that a mistake was made tor- towards or to. So our control of anger is a part of moral discipline. And I remember growing up, um, my parents saying something, or I don't know if it was my parents or my grandparents, they said something really important. If you want to know how your husband or your future husband or your future wife is going to handle a mistake and handle their anger, look to their parents or guardians. How do their parents or guardians handle their anger? And that is most likely how they, your future spouse is going to handle their anger. And if it's a rageful anger and an unforgiving anger, you run away. You do not look back. Uh, you do not want to live with someone who has who handles mistakes with rage with uncontrolled rage you you just don't it is part of moral discipline otherwise you know, if if no, nobody made mistakes the bible wouldn't talk about forgiveness all the time um uh, but the anger part how we handle our mistakes and the mistakes of others that is what we can control you know we, we can't there now there are some mistakes we can control, but some we don't. We we sometimes our impulse control is turned off and we just, you know, you know, we just we make a mistake. But how we handle those mistakes and how we handle the anger part of those mistakes, that is the moral discipline that we need. So I just want to leave you with that. How are you going to handle the mistakes of others? How are you going to handle the mistakes of yourself? Um, I love how Ma- uh, the New International Version, the UK New International Version, quotes Matthew 6.14. Um, this is Jesus talking, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you. So when you forgive other people, when they, because they're going to sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. And I love that version, the UK New International Version. Again, I got that from BibleGateway.com. So I just wanted to leave you with that um, because again, we are all going to make mistakes. We're all going to get angry at someone else who's made those mistakes. We're all going to get angry at ourselves for making those mistakes. Uh, just how how are we going to handle all of those? And yes, my mistake was huge. Um, it wasn't killing anyone huge, but it was pretty big. Um, in my opinion, it was big. In my life and, and in other people's lives, it may not have been that big. But I'm also going to leave you with one more thing. So because we make so many mistakes, because we are human, because we do sin, God does have a plan of salvation for us. He does. Um, the plan of salvation is we need to hear the Word of God. You've heard Bible verses today, and I talk about Bible verses all the time. But you hear the Word of God, which is from Romans ten seventeen and Hebrews eleven six. Uh, if you believe on G- that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, John 8, 24, once you believe, repent of your past sins. So repentance is very, very important. Uh, that's from Luke 13, 3 and 5, and we also read more verses about repenting and forgiveness today. Then you confess that Jesus is the Christ, Matthew 10, 32, and then you're baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. Which all kinds of verses: Luke 24, 46 through forty seven, Acts two thirty eight, Matthew twenty eight eighteen through twenty, Mark sixteen fifteen through sixteen, Galatians three twenty seven, Romans six three through six, and Acts twenty two sixteen. And then we need to journey this life um, in in the love, the love of Christ. We can fall away. Revelation 2.10 I believe is what it is. It says we can fall away. Uh, we can lose the love of Christ. So we don't want to do that. Uh, but there is repentance. Whenever we do, if we've done all of that, we've, been, we've uh, heard the word, believed, repented, confessed Christ and baptized, uh, if we've fallen away, there's forgiveness for us. So, I'm going to leave you with all of that. That's a lot. That's a lot to leave you with. Um, and I hope everyone has a blessed week. And thank you again for joining me. Didn't mean for this to get into a sermon. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, and and speaking of sermons, please join us. If you are in the area or if you're not in the area, go to Facebook. Uh, Come to Mountain View Church of Christ in Love City, Tennessee. See what it's about. Buddy Moorefield this week. And I want to bid everyone... A blessed week and bid you adieu.